welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Crabby Christian, a Misfit Media Network production. I am your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Chris, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian. Yeah, honored to be here. Thanks so much, Blake. I have to ask you just really quick. I meant to ask this before we started recording. How often do you have to be like, not that Chris Brown? <laughs> you know what? Actually, in the early days, it was a it was a challenge. Every time I went anywhere, it was, uh, you know, kind of a letdown. There's a, there used to be an old commercial <laughs> about Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, I let down Michael Jordan. And I was going to let down Chris Brown for a while. But uh, yeah, it's starting to die down a little bit. Uh, yeah. Because. I don't know what's going on in his career, but there's sometimes when he's in the spotlight where it's actually every conversation, but uh, lately hasn't been, lately hasn't been bad at all. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, and (laughs) I knew that it wasn't like that. He wasn't that Chris Brown, but even when we were booking it, I was like, this will be fun. People are going to be like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So I love that. So you are a pastor, you're an author, you're a commentator. You've kind of, you've kind of done all of the things. Uh, but today we're here to talk about your book restored, which I'm really excited about. We were talking about before we started recording, just kind of, we, a lot of people I think are going to resonate with this and have similar experiences of what things looked like and how they're perceived and, and how God can use really anything and he wastes nothing. Um, and so can you just tell us a little bit about the book and, and what you do? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, like you said, I've been in ministry for about 22 years. I've been involved in quite a few different spectrums of ministry and, and uh, really have kind of my adult life has been pretty trial safe. Uh, I've had some, you know, pretty significant deaths in the family that were pretty brutal uh, miscarriage. But other than that, been pretty compared to my childhood, it's been pretty easy. And so you can kind of look at my life and see, okay, there's this life of not much trauma, pretty safe. And I feel like I've been looked at as, man, you must've been born with like a silver spoon in your mouth and had this perfect childhood and those kind of things. And whenever I start talking about my childhood and the, the, the tragedy of it all and the disaster that it was, I think it catches everyone by surprise. And I realized, wait a minute, I think there's a lot of things that, you know, a lot of glory that God can get from uh, a childhood that was a complete disaster. Mm-hmm. And then now I feel like my entire life is I get up in the morning every single day with the sole focus of who can I impact? Who Mm. can I influence for the kingdom? What kind of difference can I make? How can I fill heaven somehow? I know it's, I know it's all God, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of the axiom that says you work as though it all depends on you while praying, knowing that it all depends on God. It's not either, or it's both. Yeah. And uh, I know a little bit about your story, Blake, too, as far as like uh, what God's been doing in your life on the success spectrum recently. And it's, it's not, it, God has put his hand on your life. However, you've worked hard. It's not either, or it's both. And so for me, the reason why I write a book is I've got, I feel like I want to like suck the nutrients out of an awful past and redeem it. And yeah. uh, no, I'm not the redeemer. God's the redeemer, but I want to be faithful to put it all on paper 
and uh, see what God does with it. And hopefully it encourages a lot of people, equips a lot of people, and more importantly, empowers a lot of people. I think there's so much duality because I think that it will resonate with people having a difficult childhood and experiencing trauma. And sometimes I think people consider that ashes. Like there's nothing that's going to come from that. We underestimate God and what he can do with our pain. But then also having had a like kind of scot-free adulthood, like nothing, you know, nobody's like got cancer, nothing super crazy. So there's kind of like, there's some people I think that exist in either of those microcosm. And then there's people like you who exist in both. And the church, especially I think the American church, we're so, we try to put God in this box that he can only do fix, work with, redeem so many things. And he just continually proves us just we're so wrong about mm. that. I know you you share your story in Restored, your childhood, and it was very difficult and traumatic. Can you give us just kind of like for context a little bit of what that looked like? Yeah, you know, just in my last answer, I was thinking maybe people don't even know exactly how tragic or how disastrous it was. And I think those are relative terms. Uh, some people, it could be a mental or emotional abuse, or sometimes it could be even worse than that. Just to give you some highlights and just some like a quick overview, but there was many years uh, sleeping underneath bridges and sleeping underneath piers and sleeping in the backseat of cars and going from abuse shelter to abuse shelter. Four different dads, all violent, traveled all over the country, kind of running away from violent men. You know, just a, a lot of tragedy. Uh, mom hooked on narcotics, dads hooked on narcotics, lots of neighbors and friends coming over and abusing my mom in front of me, DUIs, Baker acting my mom, uh, just some highlights, just, mm -hmm. uh, just absolute chaos and the lack of stability. And so the fact uh, I'm here today talking to all of you, it's a little bit, <laughs> it's a little bit overwhelming to think about how good God has been. Yeah, absolutely. People are drawn to those stories because I think of the redemption, right? That look what God can do. Look what he did do. Like coming from that, I think we have a formula in our head of what your adulthood should look like now. Uh, avoid from God. You have no male, not only do you have no male role models, you have really crappy ones. You're, you're, what you're seeing modeled as masculinity and as being a man as, as relationship is just the complete opposite of anything remotely healthy. So for you to grow up to be a man who loves God, who, you know, spends your life trying to fill heaven, their father and a husband, I mean, you can't, we can't like leave people completely hanging. And also I'm just genuinely like, how does that happen? <laughs> Other, I mean, God, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this one, you know, sometimes you, you kind of wonder and you're like, okay, I know it's God, but you kind of wonder. And I, for me, it's pretty obvious that it was God. So this is like a, it's kind of crazy, but the quick version is I, I was going to a public school and was involved in the wrong side of the public school student body. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got some a public school. We, I, I run a, I'm a lead pastor of a church and currently we're a church plant, church plant. So I'm also the youth pastor. So I'm very involved in kids' lives and there's many of them. Some of our best kids are from public school. So don't hear oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I went to public school and I had choices and I could have made some mm -hmm. good choices and been part of some the fellowship of Christian athletes and all that kind of stuff. So, yep. but I was on the wrong side of that. And then out of nowhere, I was drowning myself in sports the best I could, because I'd never wanted to go home. I just wanted to like be around, you know, these coaches that I put on a pedestal to be my dad and be my father figure, which was not fair to them, but, you know, wanted to uh, 
please them. I wanted to be a, I wanted to be the star student. I wanted to be the, the teacher's pet, the coach's pet, you know, be the first one to practice the last one to leave. And, you know, doing that came from a bad place, came from an unhealthy place, but doing that, I actually became really good at sports mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. I worked twice as hard as everyone else did for approval, which that's another whole entire podcast, <laughs> but it ended up paying off. And I got a college scholarship, several offers, but one of them was to a Christian school. I didn't know what Christian meant. I didn't know anything about it. I just knew that these people were going to say, Hey, I'm going to give you $50,000 if you love Jesus. So for me, oh. I'm like, I'll love Jesus for $50,000. <laughs> so I went to church there, probably filled out some kind of bogus essay for my application. And, but you know, God knew what he was doing two weeks in they had chapel. I accepted the Lord. I found out in Psalm 68, he says that I am the father to the fatherless. Mm. right there immediately. I was blown away that I had a father all along. I just didn't know it. And immediately for me, it was a 180 degree turn and my life was uh, uh, never been the same. Well, I met my wife there. So it's like this like chain of events. It's like, I've accepted the Lord. I went and met my wife there. My wife comes from like the Brady Bunch, a reference for those of you that are a little bit older, <laughs> but uh, comes from this uh, perfect family. And I married in that perfect family and perfect. Mm. When I just say perfect, I just mean stable. Yeah. Right. If for me, I didn't, I've never had a, I've never at that point, I'd never had a dinner with a family unit in my entire life, like at a table. Yeah. So that gives you an idea of just the swing. I'm like this whole concept of family was all new to me. And from then on out, it was a proximity principle. And those of you that are familiar with that principle, it's whoever you hang out with. First Corinthians 15, 33 says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good behavior. Well, the same thing's true. Well, whoever you're around, it rubs off. I was around some high quality people now for the first time in my life. And so therefore, by being around quality people, people that pull me up, not push me down, people that give me a higher level thinking, her family, God has used college, used baseball, used coaches, used mentors, and used my wife and her family to uh, restore my story. That's amazing. So... I so you're kind of thrown into this whole new world, right? Where people don't like fight, they're not selling drugs, they're not doing, you know, you're sleeping in a bed, not under a bridge. Like that is a when you said 180, like yes, your your life 180s with Jesus, your circumstances 180, like everything changes. Was it pretty immediate for you that you like because it sounds like you're still pretty young, like I feel like when you get thrust into a really new situation, good or bad, it can take a minute to realize, oh, I'm going to have to deal with all of that. Like, I'm going to have to look back and like reconcile and deal with that. Were you like immediately aware of the stuff you were going to have to unpack or was that, did that kind of come later? Yeah, I would say that I knew that I had some, some headworms and some mental baggage all the way back to like maybe nine, 10, 11 and during it. I I didn't know right and wrong. I didn't know really about like what a stable life looks like. The the part of the city that I lived in and all the different places I lived in, 17 different schools, uh, multiple states, probably 40 or 50 different homes, just evictions and all that kind of stuff. I I knew that it wasn't normal. I didn't know what normal was. I just knew that was jacked up. So uh, I I knew I was going to have some baggage. When you wake up in the morning and your your mom is going to the restroom in the trash can in the kitchen, you just know something's not normal, you know? Mm -hmm. So I've always known I've got mental baggage to deal with. And so through lots of like mentors and counseling and even the places that I've, God's led me to work as an adult, I've worked under the most amazing leaders. Many of the names that I could literally say on here and you guys listening in all know who they are. 
Mm-hmm. I've been able to serve directly underneath them. And so it's just really blowing my blowing me away when I think about the contrast between childhood and adult. But yeah, I've, I've had some mental stuff to work with. Some of the things are, are like a scarcity mindset, mm. huge scarcity mindset of like all the way down to like real practical stuff of like not throwing away any food. Yes. Like, and then I'll actually eat something extremely fattening that was for the kids and I'll eat it just because I won't throw it away. And I'm doing that at 44. And I'm like, Chris, what are you doing? Like you're, you don't have to do that. All right. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm like, that saves me like eight cents, but it's like, I just, I got to do it. But eight cents was more eight cents. Yeah, like it's a big was, deal. Yeah. It was my husband, not even like rem- remotely similar situation, but definitely grew up with little. And he still like does exactly what you're talking about, about like the girls won't finish their dinner. And I'm like, it's cause she's four and we served her like we had more than enough food to go around like it's okay baby like it doesn't this is not going to be good leftovers like let's just it's okay (laughs) you know but I think that that's a really valid point like because that scarcity versus like abundant poverty versus versus abundance mindset goes so far past like food and material right like it goes into like what you I hate using the word deserve because people get very weird about that word, but what, what you can have in your life, if all you know is nothing like love and joy and peace, like those things weren't a part of your childhood either. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've encountered a lot of adults that have scarcity, poverty mindsets about those things on top of money and food and a roof over their head. Yeah. No, I've seen that in my relationships as well. Even just baggage of like not letting, not letting anybody in close because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm what, what's the, what's the reason I'm, I'm, why would I do that? I'm moving in three months. I'm moving mm. in two months. We're going to get evicted. I don't need to have a friend. Like I don't, so that's, that's another one. Another one is just how to handle conflict, you know, with uh, whether anger or stonewalling people or just going mute for like a week. You know, when, mm-hmm. when we were first married, I was married. I was 22. She was 19. I met in college. You got married right away you know, the way we did conflict management and you know, she's obviously coming really healthy and like, Hey, let's talk about this, honey. Let's, <laughs> and I'm like, I haven't talked about my emotions in my entire life. And so right. it's just a, it's a big, big hill to climb to, to learn all that. And, and kudos to my wife, you know, and the Lord, we've had a really stable, healthy marriage for 22 years, but you know, God gets a lot of that credit, gets really all the credit, but my wife, what he's done through her, she's just, mm. she's literally perfect. So just been really, really blessed. Uh, so I, I do want to, you know, speak to the overcoming obstacles in your life. But I also want to speak to, I don't want to, I don't want there to be any, any confusion on who the hero of the story is. Mm. The, the hero of the story is definitely God. I I don't know of anything. One of the questions that my publisher said, Hey, this might be a good question for interviews was something on the lines of how did you overcome all this? And I'm really having a tough time with that question because I don't know if there's anything I put in place to overcome. I'm overcoming everything right now. It's not like looking back now, I look back, I'm like, what worked? And some of the, one of the things is that proximity principle I talked about, like because of the uh, exposure to higher level thinking and people who thought about spirituality and people that love Jesus and the, that I didn't do it on purpose. I'm like, mm, there's a wise mentor. I think I'm going to mm. go talk. None of it was, none of it was proactive. Now I'm just learning. I'm hoping to help readers and hoping to help your listeners. Like here's what worked for me pro- reactively. I can just tell you what happened. But I proactive, I get no credit. I didn't do any of this. God just kept yeah. putting the right people on my path. Yeah. Well, and you also, I think that there is a part like you did choose obedience and faithfulness 
and, you know, walked into a lot of the things that God put in front of you, because I know I can, there are people that I can see get opportunities that choose not to take them as well. There is like an active role that we have, which is the great thing about God, right? That we have this active role and it doesn't make him any less sovereign and it doesn't make him any less faithful, but we're like, we're an active participant in this life by having the choice to be obedient, to believe in his faithfulness, to take steps forward, I think is a really big part of it too. Yeah. One of the, (laughs) not to disagree with you about your own story, but (laughs) I I just, I receive that. I receive that in Jesus name. Yeah. It was just better than the alternative for me. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I know another thing that you talk about a lot that I know will resonate with people is just kind of this general, almost like blanket of shame of your mom's choices, your family, like choices, your upbringing. Shame is such a life sucker. Like it just disables us. I think it's one of the enemy's favorite tools against God's kids is if he can get us feeling shameful, then we'll stay in the dark and then we'll let things fester and we, we won't walk in the light. And so I'm not going to ask you how you overcame it. Cause you just said that you know, <laughs> like the way that that question is, framed, but what has like battling very real shame looked like in your adulthood? Yeah. Well, I mean, when I think of shame in general, uh, no matter what somebody's feeling shame about, and that's why I feel like this book resonates with everybody. Everybody didn't sleep underneath a bridge and up here. I get that. But the pain and disappointment of a childhood or pain and disappointment of a previous chapter of your life could bring some of the same emotions that mm-hmm. need to be restored. They need to be redeemed. And uh, so the principles that I've talked about in this book are principles that are applicable to I don't, I don't know many people that come and just raise their hand and say, you know what? I've never been through pain. Yeah, you know, I've never yeah. felt shame before. Yeah. I think we naturally gravitate, our skin gravitates so, toward shame. And I think where I, this worked for me is when I got my identity right on, mm. uh, on, on how I, who I really am. I'm not a decision that I've made. I'm actually not even a decision I didn't make that I was supposed to make. Uh, I'm not, that's not who my identity, you got to get your identity right, that you are, regardless of what you do, you are a child of God. And I think you also got to get your expectations right. I think if I expect my uh, 13-year-old daughter to be making college-type adult decisions right now, that's a, not a good expectation. She's not. She's being a 13-year-old. And so then when a 13, if I have an expectation that she's going to act like a 13-year-old, and then she does act like a 13-year-old, my expectations are accurate with what happens. Yeah. There's not this expectation gap between what I want and what the way she acts. It's actually accurate. I think a lot of times we have this expectation gap that we're not going to make a mistake. <laughs> Who said that? Like we, we are fallen humans. We've got this stuff called skin on. We are not perfect. We are going to make mistakes and we're going to be some things that we don't do that we should be doing. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. There's that passage, I believe it's in Romans, it says I, and I'll mess it up, but you guys, I think you know what I'm talking about, but it says, I do what I'm not supposed to do. I don't do what I'm supposed to do. Why do I keep doing? It's a really, it's a great passage, by the way. 
it's it's all the way apostle paul tells us all the way back it's it's human condition that you're not going to do what you're supposed to do it's just you're going to you just want to do it less often so get your expectations right number 1 number 2 yeah. identity you got to know that you are not your past mistakes i am not my childhood amen but one of the things that i could feel a little bit of shame is my pedigree on what what i came from my mom my dad their mom their dad and i could feel a little bit of shame in that that's not who i am I'm not, I'm not a, yes, they're my earthly, but my, my identity is so much deeper than my pedigree on earth. Mm. And so I think once I got that right, the shame started to peel off of me. Now, now shame is still an issue today. I have shame this week over things I did last week. I've got shame over stuff I did yesterday. I got shame over the way I reacted in a conversation two hours ago. It's still a real thing, but this overarching shame of cloud of shame over my life because of a season or because for me, a season is the first 18 years of my life. It's gone. I, yeah. I, my identity is not wrapped up in that at all. So there, I, just my, my encouragement to everyone else is just get your identity right. And then when you get his presence, it's such a big deal in your life. The little bit of problem or imperformance in your life or the lack of performance that you have in your life, it becomes smaller, the bigger the presence gets. Yeah. So I, I think you just got to put things into perspective. A lot of times we get what we look at. We go toward what we look at. And if you're always looking at your shame and always looking at your mistake, you're going to always dwell and think about that mistake and feel more shame. Well, and identity and expectations go really hand in hand as well, because if I know I'm good, like if I know I am good with God, God is good with me. There isn't anything that I can do to change that. Like the pressure's off. Like that doesn't, you know, I think some people take that a little far. It doesn't mean we exploit (laughs) grace. It doesn't mean like. There's no right. rules. Like just do whatever you want. But my heart is changed. And if my heart is changed, then my heart wants what the Lord wants for me. And like, I'm walking towards that. And when I mess it up, I'm, I'm, I'm still good with God and God's still good with me. And I think that yeah. religion and you know legalism, they try to infiltrate that identity portion. And then it bleeds into our expectations of ourselves. When you have the church saying, you have to be doing X, Y, and Z to be good with God. And the Bible is over there going, what was the point of the cross if you have to do a bunch of stuff for us to be okay? Yeah. Yeah. There needs to be a lot more emphasis on the person, not the process. Exactly. Exactly. I think that that's hopefully really life-giving for people that are listening, that the shame has no power in your life. There, I Especially, I think women tend to really battle with shame. Men as well. Maybe it's just because I talk to a lot of women and I am a a woman. (laughs) But like, I think it's the human condition. Like you said, like our skin pulls us towards shame. And it it, that is something that will keep us from functioning in the fullness of our relationship with God because we think we have to hide from him. When in reality, that was the whole point of the cross was Mm. so that there is nothing between us anymore. Yeah, that that, uh, gender differentiator right there, I feel like is important to, to discuss the, you know, what I think, I do think they, they, they experience shame the same amount. I think what the difference is, is females are so good most of the time at talking about it. And so yep. therefore it's out and about, we hear it more often and that is so healthy. So if you're a lady and you're, you're listening in right now and you, you feel shame and you actually talk about it a little bit, man, don't stop that. That is so yeah. healthy. I think to dwell on it and have it like you're speaking shame over yourself is too, but to like process your feelings and say like that, that's what's so dangerous about men mm, is I feel like absolutely. they feel shame just as much 
possibly even more. And what's really, really unhealthy is we're not talking about it. Yeah. You know, I, we can't have sin and peace at the same time. And so I, I think if you're, if you choose sin, the second that you choose sin, you are choosing to not have peace. You, mm-hmm. They can't happen at the same time. So I think when it's not, if we're going to sin, it's when we sin mm-hmm. If we talk about it, get it out in the open, not just talk with friends, but talk more importantly with Jesus Yep. and get it out in the open, but you're never going to have peace while there's unresolved sin or there's sin that you're keeping, you're trying to keep from God, even though you Absolutely. know he knows. Uh, so I think we have a choice, sin or peace. Absolutely. Another thing that you talk about that I really loved in the book is generosity, which I just knowing the little bit of your story that I know you didn't grow up in circumstances that fostered generosity because it was survival, right? And Mm -hmm. it was just getting by. But I think the other side of that coin is that so many people have equated generosity with spending money. Mm. And that's kind of one of the things I think you actually say in the book, I don't have to be financially secure to live a generous life. What does that mean? <laughs> well, uh, one of my, this may be my life verse. I've never actually coined it, but I, I, I swear I, I talk about it all the time. So it must be Proverbs eleven twenty five says the generous will prosper. It's literally that like, you may hate that word because prosper is like only oh, what that brings to the whole prosperity gospel. That stuff. Yeah. But, but the word prosper is not my word. No, that's, that's, that's straight from the scriptures. And so Amen. I think we, in today's world, we, we take it out of context and go extreme with it. Or some people have hijacked it and made it mean something that God never meant for it to mean as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, this, what that word in that verse does means it doesn't, it doesn't mean you're getting a Mercedes tomorrow and a big right. fur coat. It just means you're going to prosper and not just financial prosperity, actually mm-hmm. prosperity. I feel like financial prosperity is actually the least important out of them. Exactly. All. <laughs> it's the least <laughs> so, life-giving for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So the generous, that's just the first half of that verse. The second half is the one I really love. Those who um, refresh others themselves will be refreshed. Mm-hmm. And I can remember back when, you know, my mom and I together combined, even me working after school combined total, our family income was 11 grand a year. Mm-hmm. That was with her working as a waitress at three different restaurants and getting fired every other day and trying to work at another restaurant, working at a gas station and just this, whatever, all that together. I remember because I did the taxes as like a 13 year old. Yeah. And I would do the taxes like 11 grand a year. And so I can remember though, we always qualified for food stamps. And I can remember that's one thing that we could be uh, generous with is because we, back then the government gave you way too much. They probably Mm -hmm. do today as well. There's just some system and they give you way too much. So we had plenty to eat all this time. But uh, she would uh, like from scratch make these homemade noodles or she'd make homemade lasagna. And like she'd spend all day on it and then have a couple uh, uh, of neighborhood kids come over and stuff like that. And I can remember her face during all this trauma, all this tragedy, all this shame, all of this selling her body, all of this. I mean, you think about the nastiest things you can do with your body and your time and your energy and your money and everything. That's the lifestyle she was living. She was really for survival. She wasn't a bad person. Yeah. She was doing whatever she could do to provide for her kids to survive. And in the midst of all that, she would prepare a meal, spend all day, six, seven hours making this homemade meal. I can remember the look on her face and how refreshed it made her. Mm. I have seen that truth all the way through my life. That it is not just money. It, that's a food stamp analogy, but it could be with a smile. It could yeah. be with uh, just a little like non-weird encouragement in an elevator to a stranger. 
Mm-hmm. It could be uh, walking down the street and playing with the neighbor's kid and throwing a football with him or her. It, it could be with your time. It could be with your energy. It could be with your uh, influence. It could be like a, a relationship that you want to, this relationship would help somebody else. You want to get them in touch with each other. It's always thinking about others. Yeah. And it's true. Proverbs eleven twenty five: the generous will prosper. Those who uh, those who refresh others themselves are refreshed. And so for me, generosity principle, like it's something that God wants for us, not mm-hmm. anything he wants from us. He can mm-hmm. do whatever he wants in the snap of a finger. It's whether it's up to us and whether we step into general, it's an opportunity. Yeah. Um, so again, the Bible also says to be a cheerful giver. So if you can't do it cheerfully, just don't do it. Yeah. But man, I'm t- and telling, this is not, this is actually a not popular advice, but I think even those of you that are struggling financially and you're up to your ears in debt, I still believe the Bible is true about tithing, about being generous during all of that. And if Mm -hmm. you're going to shave anywhere in your budget, shave somewhere else. I'd rather have go through all that financial trouble with, you know, with uh, 90% doing it God's way than doing it a hundred percent doing it my way. My way. A hundred percent. One of my favorite quotes I heard as a kid, now as an adult, it's like a little bit cheesy, but not super cheesy. And I'm going <laughs> to butcher it, but is like, I don't want to like delicately tiptoe into my grave with lots of stuff. I want to skid in, like slide in having used everything God gave me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that I don't want to get to the end of my life and it be a life of preservation. I want it to be mm-hmm. a life of, because sometimes I think people are uncomfortable with generosity. I think people are uncomfortable Mm. extending it and receiving it. And I'm one of my like life taglines is freedom is on the other side of the things that make us uncomfortable. That's why I have people Mm. on and talk about hard things and try to like tackle difficult conversations because what's on the other side of that is freedom. So if you can get through the discomfort that can sometimes Mm. come with extending gratitude, there's so much freedom and abundance on the other side of that. Even something as simple as the, you know, I dropped my girls off at school and literally yesterday, the administrator that takes the girls out of school, she's beautiful, like inside and out. She's just a beautiful human. And so she got my kid out of the car yesterday and I was like, Hey, you know, you're like obnoxiously beautiful, right? Like you're just a real, like you're beautiful outside. I love your heart. And she was like, thing <laughs> like didn't know what to do with it you know and like I could like there was this part of me that was like don't be weird don't be weird don't be weird I'm just gonna be weird <laughs> I'm just gonna like tell you because like who knows what kind of day she was having who knows how that impacted her day moving on who knows mm. if she needed to be reminded of like how beautiful she is in Christ mm. and I think that we I don't know if it's culture I don't know if it's just our own humanity we've like made generosity weird in all of the ways that you're saying financially with our time, with our energy, with our words. And so we don't do it. And so we preserve it and we just like keep it. Like we like hide it, you know, away when God gave us all of this, all of our gifts, all of our words, all of our money, all of our time to give away. Why we're not doing that? Cause we're, we're uncomfy, you know? Totally. Totally. You know, and the thing is what made that so powerful is that just like anything else, like a, let's say jewelry or, or some kind of like a special gem, it's the rareness of the mm-hmm. gem that makes the gem so valuable. And so the fact that complimenting somebody today is so rare, it's a huge opportunity to make a huge impact and it's yeah. free. And yeah. you're just using the tools that God's given you a mouth and a tongue that should be a tool for the kingdom, not a weapon. And 
your energy and your your pulse rate and your ability to move and to, to like all those things are all tools and yeah. we can either use them for the kingdom or we can use them for ourselves. And I, I'm convinced that using them for the kingdom and using them for others is 10 times more gratifying. Have you ever seen those videos? They're like on TikTok. You'll see them on Instagram sometimes like the drive by compliments. Have you ever seen those? <laughs> like these, like people like film and they drive around and they'll pull up next to somebody and they'll be like, Hey, Hey. And the guy, the person will turn around like, why is this person yelling at me? And the person will be like, you have a really great smile. And the person's face just like lights up. Like, why are we not doing that more? I mean, right? yes, you can. Like, I've been hit on by some very creepy men out in public places. <laughs> this is That's not what we're talking about. But I think we're just and that just speaks to how disconnected we are as a people. We're so disconnected yeah. from one another. The pandemic has not helped with that. There's no real like generosity. Like I want. I, can you imagine? Like, I want to be known for my generosity. I want when I go down, like I want people to think back and be like, she would, she gave, she gave you, she gave everything she could time, yeah. money, energy, yeah. words, gifts. Like I was, she w- wasn't trying to hoard any of it for herself. She was just trying to get it all out there. And I love that you're championing that message outside of like, it doesn't just have to be money. It can be like, if, you, if you're in yeah. a situation to be financially generous, go for it, but not everybody is. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you can't be generous. It's the, it's the overall concept. It is. I've got three kids and I have right now in this stage of their development, I've got one saver, one spender, and I've got one giver and I've raised mm-hmm. them all the same way. It's just God yeah. just like, that's, that's their lean. They lean towards that direction. Well, what I've noticed is not about money. It's a, well, that part is, but like just overall, the giver is a giver altogether. Like yeah. they just, she just literally thinks that way all the time. Well, I found myself as a loving father. Okay. i love all three of my kids. Who do I want to do more for? Who do I want to give more money to? Who do I want to naturally, just naturally, I don't think about it. I just naturally want to give her more. Well, that's the way our loving father is too. He loves us all the same, but he wants to fuel those who are going to, to radiate his kindness and his love to others. He wants to keep fueling it for you. Yeah. And so I think just keep that in mind that he, he, he wants to resource those who are going to spread his love. I tell our volunteers on Sunday morning, I say, Hey, listen, Let's not be kind. Please don't be kind. I don't want to just be kind. I don't want to be like, welcome to Moe's. You know, I don't, no, I don't like, no, be Jesus filled. Like the next level, like be generous. We have a value that says generosity is our norm. It's actually not above and beyond. It's not something that's, it's just who we are. It's a norm. We are generous. And uh, so I I think it's a huge miss when we walk around, we've got our our uh, fist all clenched up and we're trying to keep, 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 because it really is actually not even you know, being a, being a giver is actually attractive and magnetic Yeah. when you're the opposite of that. It's actually repulsive. And so it's not just about, it's like an actual swing, mm-hmm. like a swing in your relationships and your opportunities. Cause people can sniff it from a mile away. Oh, absolutely. I just did an interview where we were talking about, don't we, w- the whole goal is we want people to encounter us and think I want what they've got. Mm-hmm. How are they supposed to want what we've got when we're hoarding it? <laughs> we're not even yeah. giving it away. They get, there's nothing for them to want. If if and again, we're not talking money. Like I'm talking life. If we are hoarding life, if we are believing it is scarce, that what is there to want? <laughs> Those people are no fun to be around. That does not look like Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I felt, and then just the, you know, those listening in, I openly admit that this is a daily struggle. Like even just in the gym this morning, 
I, I, I literally want to put in my ear, my ear, my earbuds and, and literally or AirPods. And I just want to work out like, but mm. I'm missing all these like eye to eye contacts, sharing a smile, making somebody else smile. Hey, way to go. Or like a high five in a non-weird way, yeah. but it's, I naturally gravitate towards selfishness. And so it's a daily battle. Absolutely. We all do. I'm, I hope that I don't think this conversation has sounded like you and I are being like, Look how great we do this and everybody else. Sucks. I hope not. No, I don't think it's being communicated that way as at all. We all have a propensity towards selfishness, but we also have mm-hmm. a really well-equipped Holy Spirit and a changed heart to, to navigate us towards abundance and towards graciousness. So this was yeah. such a good conversation. I literally feel like I'm just sitting here chatting with a friend about like life stuff that matters. So your book comes out March 29th. I'm not sure when this episode comes out. So if your book is out, people can get it where they get books. I, I, when I first started the podcast, I'd be like, tell people where they could get your book. And it's like the place everywhere. you can get books everywhere. You can get books <laughs> everywhere now. I don't have to drive. Like, I don't have to drive anywhere crazy. So tell yeah. people where they can find and connect with you online. Yeah. So I'm Chris Brown on air. All one word, Chris Brown on air on all platforms. And the book is, you know, pre-selling as early as like mid-November. So it's been pre-selling for quite a while. And uh, it's on the target.com, walmart.com, yeah. Barnes and Noble, all that kind of stuff. So Amazon, it, you Walmart. can find it. Yeah, you can find it online. It's just not in stores yet. Not till gotcha. March 29th. But I do, um, I do really think, you know, I didn't want to write a book unless I really could integrity filled be yeah. on a, a podcast like this and say, I really do think it would add value to me. So yeah. put a lot of energy to it, wrote it for 18 months. So it's not like something I just did overnight. Yeah. A lot of time and energy went into it. And actually, I'm a little bit vulnerable. I feel a little vulnerable and a little exposed writing these parts of my heart. So I pray yeah. that everyone really enjoys it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It was an honor. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right, see you next week.